creators of Relevant Magazine, this is The Relevant Podcast. It's Tuesday, September 25th, 2018, and it's The Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and this week's episode is brought to you by the new CBS sitcom, God Friended Me. God Friended Me premieres Sunday, September 30th, this Sunday on CBS, right after a new episode of 60 Minutes. You can go to CBS's website or their Facebook page to see interviews, trailers, and behind-the-scenes clips from the episode. God Friended Me is about an avowed atheist who hosts a podcast about not believing in God, and then he gets a friend request from God, or at least an account claiming to be God. Uh, what is a good atheist to do? Brandon Michael Hall plays the lead character, Miles Finer. Each week he's presented with a new friend suggestion, and each week he has the opportunity to help somebody deal with a hardship in their life. Hall is uh, joined by Violet Bean as a reporter who he meets through a friend suggestion from God, and his best friend and master hackers played by Siraj Sharma. The three of them are the driving force searching for the God account and helping people along the way. This isn't a show about the supernatural or angels. It's about people doing good and respecting all points of view. God Friend of Me premieres September 30th on CBS. I think this is the first time we've had a CBS show sponsor the show. So that's really cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Like I said, I'm your host, Cameron. Here with me in our Orlando studio, filling in one more time for Chandler Strang on the ones and twos, Mark Jackson. Hello, world. Hey, you didn't break the last episode. Good job. Uh, On the (laughs) Skype line from Loverland, Virginia, Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. Over there uh, from Nashville, Tennessee, Tyler Huckabee. Hey, everyone. And down the road from Tyler there in Nashville, author, speaker, podcaster, Annie F. Downs. Good morning, gents. Good morning. Uh, we have a great show coming up later. Not only was it sponsored by a CBS sitcom premiering this Sunday. It's a big day. It's a big CBS. day yep. the Relevant Podcast. If, if y'all know me, my dad went to the University of Florida, grew up a Gator. Went to all the games. Uh, bleed orange and blue. It's been a tough few years. Bleed orange and this blue. This is one of the hardest things about our friendship, but it was I a love good. It was a good previous decade. Tough current decade. Okay, coming up on the show today, my hero, Mr. <gasps> Tim Tebow, Heisman Tim Trophy T. winner, Heisman Your Trophy hero. winner, oh, I'm telling you, I have <laughs> I've never met the man. Never met the man. Uh, but I have autographed memorabilia that I have purchased from Mister Tim Tebow wow. in my home office. Absolutely, yeah. Real really? affable guy too. Real affable guy in the interview. Uh, if you remember, longtime listeners of the show remember uh, our former editorial director and Aaron Hambury. Uh, he was with us. He uh, he would do a lot of the interviews on the yeah. show. He would tell the story for that from time to time, little, little Timmy and little, little Aaron, little play buddies, little play date buddies. Would, the, the families were so close. From time to time, there would be joint baths. <laughs> That's how that close they are. And like we never brothers. let Aaron, like brothers. We never let Aaron let this go. Finally, Tim had written a book a couple years ago. Aaron's like, I'm going to get the, you know, we'll get the interview. I'll, I'll, I'll call him. And, and, and we had Tim on the show. And it was probably one of the, 
worst recorded audio experiences we've ever experienced. Why? The audio quality was terrible. It was like Tim was dry. It sounded like Tim was on the back of a motorcycle in a hurricane <laughs> flying down the highway at 100 miles an hour. And you could barely hear it. But the way we couldn't pull it because we actually recorded the podcast before the interview was recorded. And so we had half the right. show was us razzing Aaron about it. And then so we couldn't pull the interview. So you had to. Yeah. But Chandler and I will still yeah. sometimes I talk to Chandler pretty frequently about the the pod and uh, like if I'm not confident in like audio or something well he'll say don't worry this is no Tebow like we literally <laughs> oh will gosh, say like on a like a scale of like in the studio to Tebow like we you know it's a spectrum and Tebow's at the far yeah. far end. Jesse tell me where this interview yeah. you've heard it I haven't heard it yet I'm going to hear it with everybody else on the show today uh, on the scale of studio quality to Tebow where does I would this say Tebow right in the middle land? it was from his personal cell phone so it wasn't recorded in a studio okay. and I know his personal cell phone well I'm assuming because it's from a Jacksonville number I know he was on the road at the time so maybe if his manager's with him and use his cell phone it's cell phone quality but considering his cell phone it sounds pretty good I really look forward to you sharing that number with me. There you go. All right. I I have it. I I have a lot of numbers in my (laughs) phone. There it is. Very interesting. Annie, he is dating Miss America. Yeah. Hey, Annie, you should see see the random numbers I have from years of (laughs) interviews. Gosh, I believe it. Yeah. Question of the week. Which former Heisman Trophy winner would you most want to take a bath with if you could? (laughs) (laughs) Because I you made know, a list. You know what's <laughs> funny? You know what's funny is one not time. Not in a weird way. Not in a weird way. <laughs> oh you know what's funny is one time my kid was watching like YouTube videos on my phone, and I saw that my phone was like calling another number. I'm like, hey, give me that. You know what I mean? Kids goof around, yeah. push buttons. You know? I'm like, he's calling Rob Bell right now, and I just like hung up real quick. And I was like, that would be weird. Like, you know, it's not like I, I'm friends. I, I mean, we've spoken a handful of times, but it's not like we're like. It would be weird if I was calling him. That's all I'm saying. So I just hung up and never spoke of it. So. so that's coming up later. Also on the show today, we have your slices. And at the end of the show, that's right. your Ask Jesse. We normally have our listener of the week. But last week, Ask Jesse went so well. It's it's and it's what, what do they call it when they extend a run on Broadway? Yeah, I think it's just it, extending, extending the run, run of Ask right. Jesse. I can't wait. OK, well, hey, let's just jump into it. On, on uh, Friday's episode, we we went a little long. Prior to the In Case You Missed It. I mean, we were like a solid 45 minutes into the show before the show started. I mean, we were moved to tears. I mean, it it wasn't wasted time. It was fun. But, you know, on this show, I was thinking we could be a little bit more efficient. So I'm going to move the show along as the Master of Ceremonies. Okay, it's time for Slices. All right. Well, this one's right up my alley, and I really appreciate uh, uh, this man's name is Eloy Lugo. Eloy Lugo, and he is a giant fan of the actor Adam Sandler. And in fact, he's been hosting what he calls the Sandler Con every year, which <gasps> is a. He just calls it that. Sandler Con. And what he does is he hosts a 24 hour Adam Sandler movie marathon. He invites people over and they make like that people dress up as their favorite Adam Sandler character. They do like, you know, Adam Sandler trivia throughout the, the Sandler Con. And this year he decided to take it up a notch and he wanted to figure out a way, um, that he could get some, uh, get some attention to Sandler Con. Um, so what he has been doing this year is he has launched the Year of Sandler, hashtag Year of Sandler. And every day for the entire year, he is watching one Adam Sandler movie every single day. And he's tweeting about... There are that many. 
Well, no, no. I mean, he's watching a lot of repeats here. He has a deep catalog. There's probably 35 oh, like Adam Sandler movies. 20. Uh, at least. Um, feature length Adam Sandler movies. And we're already into September here. So he's, he's seen, he said that he has seen, um, eight crazy nights at, uh, at least, uh, 30 times. And he goes back to that one because it's the shortest in the catalog. It's an hour and 15 minutes. So if he has a, a busy day, like a, like we talked about earlier this week, he has a Mark Wahlberg style packed in day, then he's going to go <laughs> straight to eight crazy nights because it's only an hour and 15 minutes. He also watches Mr. Deeds a lot, but he's not doing this ironically. He is a massive Adam Sandler fan and he's actually met Adam Sandler a bunch of times. He, he says that, you know, even though Adam Adam Sandler has some like underrated films. I mean, like Punch Drunk Love, you know, funny people where he's actually playing dramatic roles. He always his go to that he's seen the most during this uh, year of Sandler is Grown Ups 2. It's the film Grown Ups ah! 2, just because it is so insane. Have any of you guys seen Grown Ups 2? Yeah. No. There is, no, I don't think I have either. There is literally no plot to to the film Grown Ups. It's just it's just one of those movies that's like a connected series of scenes, you know, like yeah, it's like a day in a small town, uh, the worst small town ever, where both David Spade, Adam Sandler, and Shaq live. Like that, that's the entire plot of the film. A lot of it takes place at the quarry, where they have like I think it's a dance off between Kevin James and a group of. ragtag high schoolers led by taylor lautner but he loves it he's been going strong you can follow him um at uh uh by following the hashtag year of sandler and that that brings me to one other uh this is it's not really two for it's it's kind of two slices in one uh forbes recently uh released their list of the highest paid actors in hollywood and there was two unexpected names most of the names you're like oh i can see well that like the rock or uh, Robert Downey Jr. Like, I know why that person's on the list. They had a big franchise. Number one was a little bit of surprise, uh, was George Clooney, but it was kind of, uh, like a loophole because he ended up selling a tequila business that he owns and making like a quarter billion, uh, yeah, a quarter billion dollars on it. Uh, so good for him. Mm-hmm. Good for Mr. Clooney. Um, because he hasn't been in a lot of movies this year, but two surprise entries on the list. Uh, that you might not expect to be among the highest paid performers in the last year are both Will Smith and really? Adam Sandler. Will Smith and Adam Sandler. Can any of you guys think of the last time you guys saw Will Smith or Adam Sandler in a movie? Suicide Squad for Will. Which was in 2017. I heard, I read recently, and maybe it wasn't like a list, but I just saw it referenced that, that Mark Wahlberg was the highest paid actor in Hollywood. Not, 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 not last year. This was from 2017 okay, to 2018. Maybe it's this year. Yeah. It's, it's very okay. likely Mark Wahlberg. That's fascinating because I can't think of so the, Will the, Smith. The reason why they that both Will Smith and Adam Sandler made this movie because they both made a they were both paid extremely extremely well for Netflix originals. Adam Sandler sure. signed like an eight movie contract and he's putting these movies out on Netflix. That I, That's I literally right. I have no wow. idea if anybody's watching them. Like he's put out, I think five up to now and they're cranking them out. A lot of them are pretty low quality, uh, but he's getting paid a fortune for them. And Will Smith got paid like over $20 million for the movie bright. Tyler, did you see bright? That seems like a movie. No. You would I, at least no, give it a I, shot. I heard it. I heard it was terrible. No, it's, I enjoyed it. So it's, it's Will Smith and it's Joel. Okay, yeah, but we gotta be fair. Love um, we all love Mark. Mark Jackson here, but we have some film snobs on staff who who see who have very differing opinions than Mark about. So, are you the saying that Mark is a trashy so movie watcher? I, the, the the lunch 
the lunch <laughs> conversations between John David Harris, our creative director, and Mark, and talking about a film that it is literally like black and white. I mean, it, I just, I just yeah, heard it was I bad. Mean, I haven't seen. Yeah. It, I think, so. I think Mark so is take Mark's into opinion like, the show Mark, said, Mark, I think you're laying is like fake Seinfeld movies, like, uh, like movies that like George and Jerry would go to, yeah, you know, Death Blow and things like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Death Blow. I don't know it's the yeah. Death Blow, Jerry. Yeah. I actually saw Bright. Yeah. Bright is a really weird movie that Will Smith got paid a ton of money for, and and I think. The, the pitch line was literally it's bad boys meets Lord of the Rings. So it's in a what? futurist. And, and Mark, is that accurate? What? I mean, that's pretty much the plot where <laughs> Will Smith plays a cop yeah, in just... basically like a modern day Lord of the Rings universe in like Compton, L.A. Um, but like there's like orgs and and uh, yeah, elves and, you know, these different species kind of that are intermingling with with humankind and they're in this big crime epic. But all that to say is the 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 tides of Hollywood are turning where Netflix can afford to pay these, you know, actors who, let's be honest, are pretty far outside their prime, I think, from a blockbuster mm-hmm. perspective. They can afford to pay them the same amount as like, you know, one of the Avengers makes just to get them to be in like really bad movies. And yeah, but, but why would you want to do that as an actor? Just for I mean, Will Smith I mean money. I mean, who's I, I don't know his I guess I personal don't know that he does. but You're but right. I mean when's the last You're time right. he's he so when's the last time an offer someone offered him twenty million dollars for a movie I don't think Will Smith I don't think people really care I don't think he Will Smith is that big of a draw to the box office anymore you know like we can't even name the last like yeah, blockbuster he was at bona fide I'm, hit yeah yeah exactly the interesting thing I mean this being kind of after the Emmys being shifting into Oscar season I I was listening to the you know news this week and they were talking about how like what defines a movie moving forward because like you know obviously after the Emmys like Amazon Prime yeah. streaming shows you know cleaned up I mean equaled uh, and Netflix had just as many uh, as uh, HBO you know and it's like things have shifted but how will that affect yeah. the Oscars moving forward like what is a movie if like Amazon's putting the same budget and production quality and to creating that sort of narrative uh, storytelling and like the Cannes Film Festival has said, if it doesn't, if it's not shown in theaters, it's not considered a, a movie or a film that they'll consider. And, and the Oscars are being pressured it, to it, kind of same, make the same uh, assertion. So, so these huge movie stars are actually just, you know, like it would, it would, it would, clarify or define that like it is a second tier down you know like this is not you know like television you know kind of put streaming services on the same playing field with prestige uh it would be that no you're a second class citizen if you're making streaming movies which seems insane to me because for a couple reasons well one because like netflix i think it was with the idris elba movie what was that um beast of no nations that they made a couple years ago that they wanted to get an oscar contention they did like a theatrical release in like three theaters to meet like the minimum requirement um but it's like you know you'll hear like people like spielberg or christopher nolan or these like big high profile blockbuster directors you know, really kind of talk down about on-demand movies where a lot of them are poor quality, but just because something has a theatrical release, that isn't a signal of quality. It's a signal of a distribution deal. Like, even... 
I mean, it seems like so arbitrary to make a theatrical release the deciding factor whether something's a feature film or not. I, I think it, like, I could see it eventually in the future coming down to like aspect ratio. Like, if you're shot theatrical oh, yeah. style, because it's not going to be long between there's vertically shot movies. I mean, the 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 device most people hold in their hands is they watch things vertically. It, like me, more people look oh, at Instagram every day than look at TV. We use, we use the aspect ratio that we do because of early film lenses. Like it only makes sense to me that eventually that could be a deciding factor. What's a f- film and what's not, you know, is it made for a phone or is it made to be consumed like a traditional feature, which now more people watch on big screen TVs. The the thing that I always was confused by as as Netflix is putting you know the same sort of budget into these things you know hundred million dollars or whatever for a production budget for a film if I'm Netflix why not go put it in theaters for a few months yeah more than make my money back just like the studios and then I also yeah, have the right. exclusive rights to it on Netflix forever and ever and ever you know what I mean like build up a fan base and audience legitimize it and then and pay for it. And then you get it yeah. for free, essentially, on your streaming service. Like, why wouldn't they do that? Why not bo- do both and? I mean, it's not... It's separate audiences. Yeah, I mean, there's still exactly. people who want to go to movie theaters and also then watch that film on Netflix later. I mean, it's not like they're eroding future views. I don't get it. I don't get why they don't do that. I mean, I, ha- I literally had not thought about, Jesse, until you just said this, how highly regarded series are in streaming and how lowly regarded movies are on streaming. Like, yeah. it, like made for, like, made for streaming movies you always are kind of like eh but series win awards i think it would take it'll take their first really big significant win for a streaming movie they've had some really good streaming movies and some that have been critically acclaimed and even gotten some oscar buzz but you're waiting for that power that stranger things of for movies that everybody's talking like have you gone to netflix and seen x yet and it just hasn't happened but but there was something about how big like the the movie to all the boys i loved before like it for like young audiences everybody's seen that for like you know that that movie's marketed towards like teens and it's huge you know like it, it, it that'll probably be I mean, Netflix doesn't release numbers, but anecdotally, it seems like just as successful as any other traditionally released teen movie. But but again, why not put that into the theaters, go make $70 million and then put it on your and then like the next day, put it on Netflix. I mean, like, I don't I don't get why they aren't. It just seems like missed business. You know what I mean? Anyway. All right, what do you have, Tyler? All right, so I found the study that I thought was kind of interesting. I wanted to see what uh, what you guys thought about it. It's a study that came out in a religion, brain, and behavior journal um, that basically shows... Uh, the, it explores a little bit about how behavioral models of parents affect the religious journeys of their children. Um, this particular study was uh, taking stock of atheists in particular, and they wanted they asked the question, uh, when did you decide to leave the religion that you grew up with, and how serious were your parents about their faith? Uh, and what they found is that the more... Uh, the more that parents practice their are are open and honest about their uh-huh. about their religion, practice their faith in the open in front of their kids, the longer their kids are worth it to delay um, leaving their faith. Uh, it still happened, but it took a lot. But it it took longer. Uh, but when parents were insincere or unfaithful with their stated beliefs, uh, they had a more difficult time believing the religion was true, and they would leave their faith the faith a lot sooner than that. 
Um, the author of the study shared three main takeaways. He says, first, the extent to which parents faithfully model their own religious beliefs to their children works in tandem with other processes to produce unique trajectories of the timing at which one becomes an atheist. Being allowed greater religious choice seems to drive the age of atheism down. Um, so I was a little bit, uh, that, that's not super surprising other than the fact that I was surprised that there, uh, how much of a honest, obvious corollary there is between how parents practice their faith to how their kids view it. Because a lot mm -hmm. of the people I know who, uh, a, a lot of my friends who are atheists, their parents are very sincere and it was a very difficult thing for them to walk away from those beliefs with their family. It, but but doesn't that seem a little counterintuitive? Where you, I the where you said like the the to greater degree they allow or they allow for more open minded thinking, the the less likely they are to become an atheist younger. So like yeah, true. so so I mean like one of the like so the more strict a parent is about enforcing religious a particular set of religious mm -hmm. beliefs on their kids, the more likely they become an atheist younger is. Seems to be the implication right. of that, where that yeah. seems count, kind of counterintuitive to me. I mean, I, I understand it. I understand mm -hmm. a lot of people are like, well, forget you, mom and dad. I'm tired of being under this. I'm going to, you know, I, I don't believe in God anymore or whatever. But it, I don't think a lot of parents would think that's intuitive. I would think that would be the opposite. <laughs> Yeah, I would think as a parent, and, I, and I'm not. Uh, I def defer to. Well, you have a you have a dog. It's what I, mean, I have a dog. You have a dog. My dog is <laughs> very faithful. He is a. He's very. He, he's Tyler's a, dog is a heretic. It is. A, he's a. He is a blasphemous heretic. We've given up on him. He has a hairy tick. He was playing in the woods, and he has. Yeah, this he's a hunting tick. dog. They call, they call they call that breed out in Tennessee where Tyler is the heretic. <laughs> Oh, we're done here. That's I think so it's, good. I think it's easy for. Hey, sorry, for can, me I, can like, I add one more terrible joke, real quick? Yeah, since, of course. Since yeah, I'm already derailed yeah, your please. slice with yeah. a terrible Southern accent, I saw someone uh, uh, like post on. You know, I live in Virginia, and like the hurricane evacuations were like a big deal. Everyone's talking about where they're going to evacuate. And someone posted a meme that was like the Southern word of the day. You'll like this, Annie. You appreciate uh, Southern nomenclatures, and yeah. the, and the and the word was Namaste. Namaste. And it was like a translation. Are you going to evacuate? And it was Namaste here. Namaste here. <laughs> Come on now. That's really good. Very zen. Very Her zen there in Virginia. Very zen. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's easy for me uh, as being not a parent. I right apologize now, for nothing. To, to think like, oh, I'd be the cool parent who doesn't try to like force my beliefs on my kid. Like I'd be like, I'd be the perfect amount of like moderation and level headed about how much I, I like enforce what I believe my no religion on, on my kid. No but, way. It's, but then you have the kid and I can see it becoming yeah. a lot more complicated early on. No way. You want it. You want them to be strong in their faith. You want them to grow up to be godly you want them to i mean there's no way you'd be hands-off with the spiritual life of your child as as they grow you'd want to teach them what you believe and why and you'd want them to believe what you believe because you believe it for a reason i mean and that's biblical too I mean, like, that's other, not I, that's not a bad yeah. thing um it's but, just, but even but, the amish though like they have what what's that year where they tell their kids like i always forget yeah. the name of it yeah they're I'm 21 sure we'll corrected on this yeah there was there's a couple of reality series yeah. about yeah. that year the year where they can like go live in the city and do all the opposite of their upbringing yeah. and then they can choose and like 90 
five percent choose and I to think go that's back to the, the key. Way. And that seems I mean, to be what this study at least um, sort of validates that approach to be like, look, if you're allowed to at least think different things, you're might be less likely to abandon the. How does that play out in your house, Jesse? How do you and Dana handle? Are you handling that with your two? I mean, they're so young, you know, that, you know, I mean, they're five and two. And so they're not really at the point where they're kind of asking questions outside of what we've kind of raised them to believe. But I like to think I would be reasonably open minded as a parent. Dude, it's coming soon, man. Cohen's eight. And we literally two days ago, we're driving home and we drive by a Mormon church, uh, you know, Latter-day Saints and and uh, Jehovah's Witness Hall and like every day. And for some reason, there's just a ton of cars in front of the Jehovah's Witness Hall uh, when we drove by the other day. And he, he noticed it and he actually asked about that church. And I, I was like, you're eight. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk to you. I mean, it's not. And so I was like, so we talked about the different beliefs of, you know, the different religions and Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and Buddhists and Jews and Christians. And, and he says, and he's eight. And he goes, well, how do, how do you know mm-hmm. which one is right? And then we talked about that. And he said, but don't the people who believe those things believe that they're right? And we talked about that. And then we talked about Mm -hmm. heaven and hell and belief and whatever. And like my thing as a parent is just like a model, a godly, what, uh, you know, I live in a way that like knowing that your kids are watching, that if your kid grew up to be exactly like you and make all Mm -hmm. of your decisions, you'd be proud of them. Try to live the example of what you want them to be. And then two, Talk to him honestly about faith and doubt and belief and why. My big thing with Cohen, his his brain works the way mine does in some respects. And and like I don't tell me what to believe mm. or what to do. Tell me why. Let me buy into the why. Let me understand. And then I'm in. But if you if you try to give me easy answers for complicated situations, I I, I right. can see through that and now I don't trust you. And so at eight, yeah. I'm trying to t- I'm trying to be honest with him. And I, and I hope as he gets older and we can have those conversations candidly, I would be too. But like, hopefully through that process, he will, my hope would be that he would become passionately in love with Jesus as he already is at eight. And hopefully we'll continue to grow in his faith and have a well-rounded worldview and not like a sheltered blinders on worldview. I think that when I hear that studied, Tyler, that's what I take away. It's like the parents who just say, believe this because I'm telling you to believe it. Yeah. Those kids jump ship. But maybe the kid, maybe the parents that actually are honest about their faith journeys and like their kids can relate to them and they can understand why you ended up believing what you believe, mom and dad. Maybe they can buy into that and maybe they don't have to make the same mistakes you did or you know what I mean? But like, I think it's just the whole trying to tell the kid exactly what to do and, you know, don't don't treat them like, an, you know, yeah. like they're thinking people. They are thinking people. I, I don't know. I don't have all the answers. He's but, only eight. Yeah. I and mean, people who have teenagers probably have a lot more wisdom. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, the saying, tough thing like, is, I mean, I'm uh, sure you guys to yeah. some degree are the same way. I'm sure everyone's like this, but my faith looks way different than it did when I was my kid's age. Like, and the, my belief system has evolved in a way where the same, the answers I was told, gosh, no I don't know that I believe them anymore. You know what I mean? I believe I, I it's evolved. I hopefully in a healthy way, you know what I mean? But like, it's going to be a challenge because yet yeah, the other thing too, is like, to Cameron's point, it's like encouraging them to be able to understand and to ask questions and know that that's 
good. Like that questioning things is a positive thing, not a negative thing, because I feel like too many people are told, don't question this, just believe it. And if, and, and questioning is a sign of doubt and doubt is, will lead you down a dark road where it's like, I, I'm pretty sure God's comfortable with answering your questions. If you know, if you ask him, my eight year old literally asked me that, how do we know that Christianity is is right if those people who are going to the Jehovah's Witness Hall believe that they're right? Like, how do how do we yeah. know? And then, yeah. like, how do yeah, they not? Know? Like, that's a com- that's a loaded question because then we we're just coming back from from dinner, you know. I mean, that's. But like, let's go through that. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit. Let's you talk love about kids' questions. Let's talk about what the Bible says. Their own like existential crisis on you, and you're like, <laughs> oh, oh, well. I don't think like, do like, they're, they're at their church right now. They think they're totally right and that we're wrong, you know? And how do we know? I was like, well, ultimately, we believe what the Bible says. And the, the, that sounds like and, a great question to I ask your Sunday I school. Came, I came up with the perfect answer because I said so. Because <laughs> I said so. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But Cohen Strang, we are Orlando Magic fans. <laughs> He's trying to reject that too, by the way. He's going to be a basketball atheist, yeah. and I'm really upset about that. <laughs> and, and, and the yeah, thing is, like, I, I used to think about this a lot because even people who you know I'm friends with that don't that don't share my faith, that don't call themselves Christians, you know, or have their own ideas. Like I used to feel a lot of pressure to be able to answer those questions in the right way, you know. But then you know, yeah. like you kind of realize, look, grace and the Holy Spirit have a huge role in this thing that there's more harm in neglecting that than trying to make up for w- what you think you need to do. Like the old Billy Graham thing just, is just hand him uh, up, mm-hmm. just hand him a Ravi yeah. Zacharias book. Yeah. It's God's job to judge the Holy Spirit's <laughs> job to convict and my job to love. And it's like, look, okay, I, I, I have to know to a degree what my, I can try to, to my best to answer every question, but you know, or Chesterton, you know, where he talks about the difference between the mathematician and the poet, where the mathematician goes crazy because he tries to build a bridge to the infinite, and the poet learns how to be comfortable swimming in the sea. Like, you have to be willing to say, I don't have the answer to these questions, but the Holy Spirit, faith, and grace are going to make up some of the room here, you know? Well, speaking of the Holy Spirit, in a way that only he can tie us all together, I'm going to tell you a slice that has to do with streaming and family (laughs) together. Pure clicks. We planned it. But have you guys heard about this thing? Yeah. <laughs> have you heard? No swearing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So- Jesse, I, I'm Annie. Before you get into this, this is honest. This is true. After Impact Week, where we made part of the bit, you know, we had to torture psychological endurance challenge. Daz had to watch a marathon of Pure Flix's world's first yeah. Christian soap opera, Hilton Head Island. Um, our team noticed through internet evidence, not, not because of personal surfing or whatever that pure flicks put in like a Google ad buy that if you like relevant, that it would advertise shows to you. And I don't know if they were like doing it because they're like, Oh, look at all these people from relevant coming over to pure flicks. Let's target their demo. Or if they're kind of like, well, you screwing with us. We're going to screw with your people too. I don't know. I don't know what the motive is. <laughs> hey, I told you, I told you one time I did a bit on here about pure flicks and I got an email that week from an unnamed person in our sales department <laughs> who was unhappy because they were yeah. planning on. Yeah. They, they are no longer an advertiser. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my slice isn't even about uh, Pure Flix. It's about Netflix. But th- there was a research group that did a um, 
it's called Streaming Observer that pays attention to Netflix watchers. And it said they researched that next, sorry, that Netflix users are so addicted to binging that they're actually watching more Netflix than they're spending time with their family. So here is the stat. On an average, I won't do all the math for you, but they did all the math for you in the article, which is fascinating. But um, this is how we spend our free time. For These are for Netflix users. 71 minutes of every day you spend watching Netflix. So about an hour of a show. And then only 36 minutes is spent with uninterrupted time with your family. So literally half the amount of time is spent uninterrupted time with your family. The other things they listed, which will kind of ruin your lives a little bit, is that the top is Netflix with 71 minutes. The next one is socializing. So spending time with friends, being out for 39 minutes of your day. 36 minutes is your time with family. 27 minutes is your time on Facebook. Blah. And then you exercise for 17 minutes. This, now, this, this is, is the average this Netflix user, I, I just know we to don't do you. a lot of call bar, callbacks, but if you listen to last week's show, like this isn't, say, like a Mark Wahlberg who most, this is just his <laughs> no, cryogenic no, no, this isn't chamber Mark Wahlberg. Time. This is a Netflix <laughs> user. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then 16 minutes is spent <laughs> reading. So, but I mean, can you, this feels true to me that Netflix bingers spend twice the amount of time with Netflix than they do uninterrupted well, Tyler focus was time gonna, with family. You know, we talked about a, a slice earlier, too, where it was like Fortnite and video games. We're now oh, become, and how it's messing up families, uh, marriages? Well, like, it's, it's becoming... Commonly cited. Yeah, it's a commonly cited cause of divorce. People like addicted too. to video games, specifically Fortnite. It's breaking up marriages because people are addicted to it. Uh, not to get into family drama, but I yeah. literally right now have going on a two-week Fortnite restriction. It got too much. I mean, like, we were limiting it. Like, you know, like, you know, more than X amount of minutes a day or whatever during the school week or whatever. But like, it, it's all he would talk about. It's all he would think about. Yeah. It's all his friends talk, talked about. And it became beyond an obsession. It was not okay. And so I'm just like, cold turkey, buddy. Sorry. Two weeks. Wow. And it's really hard for him. We'll be just walking and I'll see him in thought. And I'll be like, hey, what you thinking? And he'll be like, oh, you don't want to know. Like, like you know, like, it, it's a thing. It's Jesse, I'm not getting It is a thing. This Fortnite addiction is a thing, man. You know, you know, yeah, some, you know, some parents are hiring Fortnite coaches for their kids because they don't there want are them Facebook groups. Dude, there's a New York Times story. I showed it to Cohen. New York Times story on Sunday where they talked about uh, the headline was the summer of Fortnite is over and how parents are coping with this, like going back to school, trying to get kids broken off of, you know, the immersive addiction. And there are folk, there are Facebook support groups. There's yeah, life coaching. There's wow. like Jeez. interventions happening. Jeez. It's insane. It is insane. insane. And you always sound like, a, like, you know, your grumpy old grandfather, but I, dude, I, I mean, that's one thing I kind of not to talk overly about parenting stuff, but like just for kids in general, it's like, you know, riding bikes and goofing around and building forts and getting in trouble in the neighborhood. Like, is that still a thing? For kids, like, right. I mean, I, I am, I am absolutely of the mind that kids need to be bored. Uh, you know, yeah. I know, I know the whole idle hands, the devil's playground, blah, blah, blah. But like kids need to like fall out of a tree every once yeah. in a while. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like our house being under construction, there's, there have been days when I come home, me and him come home. There's no internet. There's no nothing. And everything's in boxes and you know, whatever. There's nothing for him to do. He just has to go kind of like, I'll watch him. He'll just get a stick and just go out and like, play around in the backyard like yeah. good or Come we on, come here. Around. I'm going to show you how to 
hang drywall. Yeah, All right. yeah. We'll be, we'll be driving around <laughs> in the Here's car. Here's the new game. It was it was big with your grandfather's generation. Yeah. Go hooping a stick now. Hot fun. <laughs> we'll be driving around the car, and he's like, "Can I have your phone?" I'm like, "No." Kids are, and he's like, well, "Are you gonna say kids are supposed to be bored again?" I'm like, "Yes, yeah. kids are supposed to be bored in the back seat of a car. Yeah. Look out the window and use your imagination." Like, I don't care. I'm call me crotchety old man. I don't care. Like, it, adults are supposed to be bored. Like, I know yeah, being we need bored to be is too. part of the human experience. I was never bored as a kid because I was building super sketchy ramps out of wood I stole from a construction site, and it was yes, awesome. so true, yeah. dude. I have scars on my arm because we lived uh, next to a nature preserve, eighty acres of, of Florida swamp. I would go back into the woods at 10, 11, 12 years old with a machete and I would find vines that I would chop and I would climb up into large trees. These are hundred foot tall trees. I would climb up into trees and swing like Tarzan through the woods and vine and smack into trees and then fall to the ground and break my arms and I've scrapes everywhere and I lift up logs. And then there's a snake underneath it. And oh, that's a coral snake. You got to chop it in half. I mean, like, <laughs> Did you grow up in the Amazon? What story are you telling but us this right went from, like, very relatable to, like, this sounds like the wild thornberries. I've done time <laughs> in juvie, and I regret none of the shenanigans. None of them. Did I miss year 13 to 16? Sure. Do I apologize for burning down that apartment complex? Legally, I had to. But was it a time of my life figuring out what a Molotov cocktail was? You betcha. dude i lit the woods on fire multiple times i jumped off the roof a bunch of times testing various parachute designs you know like i like that's what kids should do that's what kids should do Turn off the video. Ironically, all hey, of those things. Hey, but guess what? My slice isn't about kids. It's about yeah, us. But, it's about the grown-ups. Ironically, all of those things, Cameron, you mentioned, setting fires, building forts, and jumping in parachutes are primarily what Fortnite is. <laughs> you can do all those things in Fortnite. <laughs> but a lot safer. The, <laughs> Annie, for real, like, I mean, the most, most of the, most Xbox users are 30-year-old men. I mean, 27-year-old, hey, I think, I, is the average age or something like that. It is an adult issue. It's not a kid's issue. Right? It's an adult issue. You know, it's just my 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 question is like this is unprecedented in the sense that like, you know, we came of age when the Internet became a thing. Cell phones became a thing. The You know, the generation coming up like that's yeah. it. I mean, they like that's the only world they've known. Native and they've been plugged in since yep. since they were babies. So it's like, you know, the the way technology and, and things change. I mean, like, I don't want, I don't want to say like that's necessarily a bad thing. You know, it's not a technology thing. I mean, there's other things that would have filled that void in other generations, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. But like, you know, we got, we, we got to be mindful yeah. of this and, and, and things are rapidly affecting our lives and how we're spending our time, like to your Netflix thing. I mean, it's like we're mindlessly inhaling mm-hmm. that much Netflix. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not being intentional. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, if you guys read the in the current issue of Relevant, we talk with Bo Burnham, and that's the basically what eighth grade that his film is about, and it's probably you know in early Oscar buzz is what it's like to come of age in a time of constant screens. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it just means that they're going to be doing video games of parachuting instead of jumping off their their roof when they were yeah, home sick one though. day from school. And they found they found their ski. Uh, ski I had you know like little kids wear those like ski, when you go snow skiing they have yeah. like the padded overall things and put that on. I got the ski boots because I thought that would add ankle rigidity, right? right? And I got Smart. a couple of trash bags and I climbed out onto the roof and jumped off. I'm home alone, <laughs> sick. This I'm in fourth grade. It was the most painful thing. Those those boots like jammed into my shins. I'm writhing on the ground oh. for an hour. I can't walk or move. Uh-huh. And uh, my mom comes home and I'm laying oh, in the side Cameron. of the yard. 
And she drove up and she's like, I thought you were sick. And I'm like, I am now. And I'm like in tears and stuff, you know. I don't know if you guys ever watched Pete and Pete. Like looking back, it's a pretty surreal,est weird show. Oh my gosh. But, Pete but, but the episode oh, yeah. where one of the Pete's fakes being sick so he can have a sick day and he tunnels out of his house with a spoon under the house. And it's like, that's what that's yeah. basically what kids did during Dude, sick days. Sick days, I'd watch the Dick Van Dyke show, Gomer Pile on reruns all day long. Price was, is right. Price is right, of course. It was incredible. Yeah. I then would get bored in the middle. Now, when did it become okay for you to leave a second or third grader home alone all day because mom and dad worked? Because that's what happened on my sick days. I was home alone. I re- I'm remembering yeah. that. I would never leave Cohen home alone. I would never leave Cohen home that's alone. Second, on a sick third day, grade. Right now. But like, that's what they did. And then my mom would yeah. come home and I've done things because I would get bored and like, I've done things. So, like, I remember I set up. I've done things. One time I set up our back porch as a retail enterprise. I I had a huge sign, Cameron Enterprises, and I set, which was going to be theme parks, publishing, and and retail. Okay. So, I set up my first pop up shop as Cameron Enterprises, and I basically merchandised all of my toys on our back porch. My, I got in so much trouble because I was supposed to be homesick that day. And I, I was like, you should be proud of me. I'm entrepreneurial and I'm nine. And uh, no, I got in huge trouble. Yeah, I got in huge trouble. But kids need to do that junk. Adults need to do that junk. Be bored. Be bored more. That's the lesson. All right. That'll do it for Slices. Stay tuned. Up next, Tim Tebow joins us. This podcast is brought to you by Fuller Seminary. Ministry looks different than it did even 10 years ago. Fuller prioritizes an innovative, forward-looking environment where students and faculty can explore the intersects of work and theology and encourage one another in their callings. To support this collaboration, Fuller is now offering the Catalyst Scholarship to select incoming Masters of Divinity students for winter 2019. Recipients will receive a 50% discount off tuition during their first year of study at Fuller. This new scholarship supports the theological education and spiritual formation of innovative, collaborative students who want to be a part of a diverse and inspiring learning community. You're listening to Sam Henshaw. The song is Broke. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard Arlie with Water Damage. Both of those are relating to my home renovation. Tim Tebow is a professional baseball player, NCAA football legend, go Gators, former NFL quarterback, and is currently also a college football analyst for ESPN. In his new book, This is the Day, Tim explains why we shouldn't fall into the trap of putting off God's calling on our lives and should instead seek out our purpose today, even when it sounds risky. Here is our conversation with Tim Tebow. Uh, we've got your book. This is the day. Reclaim your dream. Ignite your passion. Live your purpose. It's it's all right there in the title. I feel so. So, what was the um, sort of personal uh, thing that was going on in your life that kind of compelled you to write about this topic? Well, I think there were so many things. To be honest with you, I think it was four or five different instances in my life 
where I really wanted to, um, where this really stood out to me. And I think um, one of the first ones is being around so many um, people that would share, you know, one day I'm going to go on a mission trip or one day I'm going to start a diet. One day I'm going to, you know, um, uh, get right with God. One day I'm going to tell my dad I love him. And I was just around this for so much and it started to like weigh on me. I was just like, but we're not, we don't know if we're, if we're going to have one day. We don't know what's guaranteed, but we do know we have this day. And so we need to start living this day as if it were on, as if it were on purpose and with meaning and with passion and with significance. And it just kind of weighed on me. And then, you know, my dad um, got diagnosed with Parkinson's. And so that was even more meaningful to me where I, man, I don't know how much more time I got to have. I need to start living my relationship with him because I don't know how much longer I'll have him. And, um, and, and, you know, and then I would be around so many young people that would say, you know what, Timmy, I can't wait till one day when I can go do this or I can go do that. And I would say, but, but you're not too young and, uh, you can still do it. And I'd be around old people and they would, you know, say the same things. And I would want to encourage them is, life's not about one day it's about this day and you can find that purpose passion and meaning in everything that you do um you know it, it might not be um uh to have the biggest platform but you can be able to transcend everything you do whether that's going to the grocery store or it's um hanging with friends or it's in your own school or it's um, it's with your family as you can find the purpose and the, the, the passion in that. And then I also wanted to encourage people that, you know, to go after their dreams, to go after what God has put on their heart and not be, and not be scared of what the naysayers are going to say or of falling short, but being able to have the courage to t take a leap of faith and go after it. Because I believe, um, the regret of fail, uh, the regret of not going after something is always the greatest form of regret, whether you you're able to reach that dream or you're not, at least you went for it and you were really striving for, um, well, for what's on your heart. That's a cool idea, man. And I'm wondering, you know, for you, uh, was there, was there a moment either in the NFL or in broadcast or in baseball where you were feeling a, a similar, um, sense of, of being stuck that you were encountering when you were talking to all those people? Well, I think for me, you know, um, I had to make that decision when I, um, when I chose baseball, you know, yeah. um, you know, most of the people were, why would you do this? Why would you do that? Why would you, you know, take a chance, you know, of being ridiculed, made fun of. And I would say, because it was on my heart, because it was something that I was dreaming because it's something I wanted to pursue. And I wanted to encourage people, um, that they can pursue their passions and um, they can pursue what's on their heart. And, and it doesn't mean it's always gonna be easier. It's gonna be, um, um, or it's gonna ha necessarily um, be perfect. Um, but I wanted to encourage people that, um, that this is the day where they can start living, you know, the dreams that they have and that God has for their life. And they don't have to just stay stuck in, in the ordinary and the mundane. Yeah, as as you were contemplating making that switch, I'm I'm sure you anticipated a lot of the criticism. Um, but what kinds of fears or doubts entered your mind, and then how did you look to overcome those? Well, it's it's you know all of those things. So, all right, I'm going to have a lot of criticism. There's going to be a lot of naysayers. Very few people will believe I'm going to do this. But honestly, am I going to let all that define me? Am I going to let other people in their opinions define my life and what I want to do? And unfortunately, I feel like a lot of times we let other people define us. 
we let other people and their opinions define us instead of letting uh, our hopes and our dreams and uh, what God has put in our heart and who we are in him define us. And, um, and I want to encourage people that the world doesn't get to define you because God already has, and he loves you and he has your back. And so the things that he's put on your heart, why not go out in there and believe in yourself and his plan for your life and go fight for your dreams. Yeah. That's something I think distinguishes this book a lot is it kind of has that foundation of faith. I mean, there are, there are obviously so many self-help books and so many places people turn to, to advice and get out of ruts and feel unstuck. But in your words, why do you think it's important to um, include that faith element and talk about that identity in Christ amid uh, this, this change and this conflict that people experience? Well, it's um, such a part of, of my life and it's, it's not just what I do, but it's who I am. More importantly, it's whose I am. And I wanted to encourage the readers of this book that God has a plan for their life and a purpose for their life and to be able to to take the next step in faith and go after what he's put on their heart and to live with open eyes, to live with open hands, to live with meaning and purpose and passion. And it's not just all for your dreams, but it's to be able to look around and, and see people that are hurting and help them out and to, to have meaning. And the greatest way we have meaning is by loving God and loving people. And to be able to find that in the in the mundane and the ordinary, but also to be able to transcend whatever it is that you do in your life to something that has purpose, right? And so for me, you know, it's not just playing a game, football, baseball, basketball, whatever it is, but it's, it's looking how it can transcend that into something encouraging teammates, encouraging fans, coaches, right? To make it more than a game. And I believe that, and, you know, shared different illustrations of how we could do that. But I also want to just look to be very applicable, right? You know, every chapter, there's something that we can do. There's, there's getting up, there's going after. It's not just, oh, you know, like go help yourself. Not at all. It's understanding the God of this universe has a plan for you. And let's go try to live that out every day. Let's be aggressive. Let's live on our toes, not our heels, but being ready to take on life and, and try to impact it and not just sit back and do nothing. That was Tim Tebow. Make sure to check out his new book, This Is The Day, because this is the day it releases. And you should go get it, because this is the day that you can go online and buy This Is The Day. Stay tuned. Up next, Ask Jesse. You're listening to Father John Misty. The song is Disappointing Diamonds Are the Rarest of Them All. Okay, this is the spot in the show where we have been doing our Listener of the Week, and we'll get back to it. You guys are great. You're very interesting. You're still sending us your facts about yourself. It's been fun to see. But uh, we decided to take a little breather and do a couple weeks of Jesse Carey being your very own life coach. You've uh, been on Twitter asking Jesse to help solve some of your life conundrums. 
with the hashtag Ask Jesse. Now, I did see that we tweeted this week, Ask Relevant Jesse, but it's been just hashtag Ask Jesse. Uh, you've been hitting us up at Relevant Podcast. Uh, Jesse, what I'll do is I'm going to throw you a couple of the users' conundrums. Okay. And then maybe you and, and maybe Annie and, and Tyler can chime in. Uh, Sam Massey uh, asked Jesse, I'm a freshman in college and I love pranks, but I'm a serious loss for ideas. Hmm. I want to hear some of Jesse's ideas because I know he was big on the prank scene in his college days. Uh, ask Jesse. So Sam Massey. What, did, did he say what kind of college it was? No, just freshman in college. Freshman in college, and he wants... Do you notice that it keeps being the same age bracket who asks you for advice, Jesse? Just take a note of that. I know. It's it's people at the most pivotal time in their life turning to the <laughs> wisest it's person. Actually, the next two that I have lo- locked and loaded are major life transitions as well. So, yeah, I mean... Yeah. Well, the, the, I mean, the key is, I think, is to get weird and to... Uh, <laughs> And to not allow, like, you have to develop the reputation that there's no line you can't cross. Who? What's this guy's name? Blake or Todd? Pam? Sam Massey. Sam Sam Massey. Okay. Blake or Todd? Sam. And you need to target the RAs. That's the big thing. You want to be, because anyone can just pull a prank on their classmate. Uh, But you want to make sure that you are known as a man of the people. And the best way to do that is to send a message to the RAs. Like, you start off simple. This is is an easy one. Get a trash can full of water and you lean it against the door of the RA. I'm talking ice water filled to the Of the RA. Not not of a fellow college student. Of the the RA. RA. the RA and wait, to, you know, you just very late at night so that you wake him in dead sleep, call his room, be like, there's a fight out in the common area. Hurry, hurry. And he opens the door and guess what? He gets a big trash can full of water spilling all over the room. <laughs> Message sent. Go after the big guy. Go after, you know, one time. I don't know how gross we want to get, but one time some some clown tried to prank me by uh, by going in the middle of my room in the middle of the night and unloading a couple uh, fe- uh pillows full of feathers. Okay, the cleanup wasn't fun, but I took it up a notch. You know what I did? And I, I and this is what you need to do. The RA, if you have no morals, you go to the latest the the nearby hair salon. Go to the dumpster out back. There are trash bags full of hair. You unleash one of those bad boys in the RA's room. Guess no. who's messing with you now? Nobody. Hey, I've disassembled. That's I've horrible, gone to Jesse. I've gone to one of the wings of of a floor that uh, that did some things not nice to our floor. We went in the middle of the night. We disassembled all of the stall walls in their bathroom. So guess what? You're using the toilet right out in front, or you're going to another dorm. You know, you gotta, you gotta think what, what what's what's going to take it up a notch there, Sam. Don't worry about the con. The thing is, too many people worry about consequences. Don't worry about consequences and target RAs. Nothing will go wrong. <laughs> all right, there you go. All right, Ben McGill okay. wrote in, asked Jesse. How do I get my newborn son hmm. to sleep through the night? Oh, that's a, I feel like you could really answer yeah. that, Jesse. Yeah, that's a that's a very his name's his name's Ben Gill. Um what I would do Ben Metgill. Metgill. M A C First first off, congrats on your newborn son. Um I you know, this one's very easy. You d- don't allow the child to sleep during the day. Children at that newborn's need to be sleeping. They need to be sleeping. Like 18 hours a day, most of it during the day and naps. Don't let them take naps. Guess what? They'll sleep like a baby at night. And it sounds messed up and your pediatrician is not going to like me. But if you want to know the truth, I'm giving it to you, friend. So just keep the baby up all day. Up all day. When you're awake, huh? There's plenty of ways to keep a baby up. You know, play loud music or just, you know, constantly wake the baby up. You know, that way they're going to sleep through the night. 
<laughs> hey, so, hey. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, wake up. No, I'm saying, stuff hey, like yeah, that. Yeah, That's, you know, yeah, easy yeah, tip. Yeah. Hey. Horrible. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You're probably gonna mess up their growth, but you're gonna get you're gonna you're gonna sleep. Good. You're probably stunting their growth. You're, but you're it's probably cool, stunting cool. their growth and their development. But I'll tell you this: you're gonna sleep for a solid eight hours. Like you know, you're gonna be on Mark Wahlberg schedule. So, uh, lastly, uh, for this week's Ask Jesse, Hannah Van Dyke uh, wrote in. Uh, Jesse, she is a conundrum. She's getting married in two and a half weeks. Wow! Congrats. She's looking Hannah. for ways to have the best wedding ever. This, Relevant podcast. I'm looking for Ask Jesse for help. This is so easy. I, if I were her, I would call in her great grandfather, and I would have, I would ask him. I'm assuming this is Dick Van Dyke's great grand. You yes. said Hannah Van Dyke. I would set. Dyke. I would ask Dick to walk her down the aisle, and guess what? At the last minute, someone's going to push out an ottoman, <laughs> and he's going to trip over it, and the whole house is going to come down. People will be talking about that for the it'd be the best wedding ever. Cameron, do I you not agree? You would be talking trip. about for well, the rest hey, of listen, Actually, I like it. I I like it even if, if it's not Dick Van Dyke. I like it if just when her dad's walking her down the aisle, they do the Van Dyke uh, ottoman ottoman uh, trip. I, I think, like. That. I think. That's I think. Good. Yeah. Exactly. Even if her name isn't Van Dyke, I think tripping someone in a very sensitive moment is going to be hilarious. So, you know, because half the people you're going to get the right. gasp. Oh, oh no! And half the and then you get you get the people who are in on it like that's pretty good. Push an ottoman right out in front of them at the last minute. Never saw it coming. Hannah, I will say this: it'll be memorable. I don't know if it'll be best, but it'll be memorable. <laughs> Jesse, uh, you know, you uh, did memorable things. You and Dana, I mean, uh, like when you guys were newly engaged, you did a photo shoot wearing matching outfits on the beach, and I uh, found it. Uh, I don't even know how you ever were in possession of, of moment. it. But... And I found it. Uh, when we moved, it got put in a podcast yeah. box, and I found it. And I, you know, when we got that promotional picture frame from the Oprah Winfrey Network, I thought, well, this is the perfect frame for the Jesse engagement photo <laughs> of he and Dana with his floppy hair uh, and his white shirts and khaki pants and sitting on the beach looking ever so lovely, young Jesse. And I have it framed sitting on my desk. It is the only item on my desk is this. <laughs> frame picture of you do you want hey do you want to know a true story like from that era like that was shortly after i graduated college i literally went to the mall i was in a hollister and i swear i don't know if it was just a look i i'm not making this up at all i got offered a manager position by walking into a <gasps> hollister <laughs> no i was like you guys know nothing about me like i literally walked in off the street and on the on the qualifications of my current hair alone i mean offered a management position you know you looked like I, a Hollister I manager. I swear to you, that's a true story. I think that's I, think I, I mean, that's what I I, I was. A, I managed a Hollister in college. Did you? And that, my the extent <gasps> of my the extent of my qualifications where I went in. Somebody asked me if I had any realtor experience. I said yes. They asked me what music I liked. I told them. They asked me what I did Something on the corporate. weekends. I told them yeah. that. And that. And then next thing I, I walked in the next all day I do with the is, job. Listen, all I do is I watch the OC. I listen to something corporate, <laughs> and I put on tons of cologne. Do I have the job? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that, that, there's a lot of Ask Jesse questions, but those are just a few. Uh, it's great. Keep the questions coming. You can just use hashtag Ask Jesse, and we will find them. And I think we'll keep this going for another week. It's been fun. Well, hit us up uh, on Twitter. With, use hashtag Ask Jesse, and we will uh, read your questions or your conundrums, your life crises on next Tuesday's episode of the podcast. Well, many thanks to uh, the show's sponsor for making the episode possible. 
God Friended Me premieres September 30th, yeah. this Sunday on CBS. Make sure to check it out. Also, thanks to uh, Tim Tebow for joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at Tim Tebow. He's got a pretty good Instagram feed as well. And his new book, This Is The Day, is out now. Go Gators. Well, the new issue of Relevant is available now. It features Johnny Swim on the cover. Uh, I don't know if you followed Chip Gaines's Twitter feed or Instagram feed, but he's he's very he loves the new issue. Oh yeah, Mr. Big Chip fan. Gaines, big big fan, big fan. We're not kidding. Go go scroll back. Last week he posted a picture of their new issue because they're good friends with Johnny Swim, and really because cool. he loves Relevant. I mean, here's the thing: he probably didn't just buy that issue because of Johnny Swim. He probably was already a subscriber. It's like, hey, look look who's on the cover. What good taste this magazine has. Uh, Bo Burnham's also in the issue. Foster the People, Christine Kane, W. Kamal Bell, Francis Chan. I mean, that is a yeah. stacked lineup. I love the lineups, Jesse and Tyler. When uh, when 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 we read the list of articles, and it's just like literally no other magazine <laughs> in the world would have that collection of voices. Very or, very or true. Yeah. It sounds like a dinner party where you like. Oh, I love it. Like everybody else said no, except for like this, like the one random group person from each different group of friends. You're like, well, you're gonna have to find a way to make a conversation yeah, cool. here. W. Kamal Bell, by the way, I don't know if you guys saw the trailer for the final season or the final couple episodes of Anthony Bourdain, but he, you know, he travels with yeah. uh, W. Kamal He's Bell to yeah. uh, some locations, and they had a little mini interview with him. It was it was moving, I'm, but I'm glad I'm glad he's in the issue. He that was that you know. That that was one. I, I also feel like again, this is going to sound like self promoting, but you know. Like a lot of these conversations are conversations these people would also have nowhere else. I mean, you listen, you know, we played the 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 thing with Foster the people last year, kind of last week about opening up about faith and, um, you know, W. Kamal Bell talking about beliefs. I mean, that's you know, hopefully people, uh, you know, are able to dig into that. Uh, you can view the issue online at relevantmagazine.com. You can also pick it up at newsstands nationwide. and most Barnes and Nobles. And if yours doesn't have it, ask for it. Uh, if you like the show, head over to iTunes and. Uh, Leave a rating and a, and, and, a, and a comment there. Um, it helps other people find uh, the show and uh, helps us out in their algorithm. If you don't like the show, keep it to yourself. Uh, the new, while you're on iTunes, check out the trailer for Season 2 of the Love & Money Podcast. It's part of the Relevant Podcast Network, and it's coming out. Oh, it's out now. The trailer's out now. The show's going to debut in like a week or so. Uh, we have a new cast member, which you want to check out the trailer to find the scoop on. Um, and while you're online, you're browsing around, we also have some new videos with Johnny Swim that we just put up, um, the relationship Q&A with them. It's really funny. Their performance videos from our studio are up. You can check that out on our YouTube, the Relevant YouTube channel. You can also check it out at relevantmagazine.com. Don't want to miss those. And uh, last but not least, we're hiring. Head over to relevantmediagroup.com to learn more about our open positions and to apply. Specifically, we're looking for sales, editorial, operations, lots of stuff happening. We want some new blood. We're excited. Uh, check that out. Well, on that note, we will wrap things up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Tyler Uckaby. I'm Mark Jackson. I'm Annie F. Downs. We'll see you on Friday. Don't miss it. Thank you for listening to The Relevant Podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Check out other shows from The Relevant Podcast Network in the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com. And while you're there, browse exclusive podcast merchandise at our online store. 
make sure to subscribe to Relevant Magazine. Info is available at relevantmagazine.com forward slash subscribe. Was it a time of my life figuring out what a Maltov cocktail was? You betcha. Relevant Podcast Network. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.